Due to the graphic nature of this podcast, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussion of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. This is a prepaid collect call from an incarcerated individual at County Detention Center. This call is not private. It will be recorded and may be monitored. Guess what time it is? It's time for crime! In this episode, we will be discussing the disappearance of Mikkel Biggs. We hope to answer the following questions. Did you wait for the ice cream man? Are you close to your siblings? What do you want to be when you grow up? So listen in and find out more. But for now, try not to end up on an episode unless you're a guest. Hey guys, this is your host, Fanny. And this is Kat. Welcome, new friends, and welcome back, our little stalkers. We hope to capture more of you today with this new episode. So, Miss Kat, how was your day? How was your week, I should say? Yeah, it was good. It was good. Things have calmed down at work a little bit, so it was not a bad little week. Good, good. How's things going with you? Well, I'm ready to pop. Getting close, right? Yep, now's time. Now's the time, so... This might be, this is going to be our last little episode, guys, so we hope to leave you guys with a bang, and we'll be back pretty soon, so as I go on my little leave to take care of the baby. Yeah, she's going to be on maternity leave, and there's going to be family coming in from all over, so we're going to have to give her, we're going to have to give her a minute, but I'll probably be, I'll be back with updates, so. Yes, Kat will, Kat and our producer Dave will definitely give you guys an update, so. Let you guys know that I'm doing fine and baby's good and healthy, so we'll keep everybody in touch. But nothing else outside of that, nothing too exciting. Um, I'm actually, for, believe this or not, this is kind of be our, like, Peter and I's last date together before we have the baby. We're going to medieval times. And oh. we did the fully upgraded, like, we went all out experience. So Ooh, that going, was a nice one. You're going to have a good time. So we're going out tonight to do that. And so oh, awesome. Dave's parents. Yeah. Dave's parents <laughs> took us. All I could think about is the cable guy from uh, Jim Carrey when he's like, he goes to medieval times and oh my gosh, I just, my sister's <laughs> like so excited. She's like, you have to send pictures and videos of your experience. So I told her when she comes to visit, to see the baby that I'll take her. We'll have a girl's night out and go together. Yeah. Oh, you'll have a good time. It was fun. Yeah, I'm pretty pretty excited about it. I know the Renaissance Festival's, like, I don't know if it started already or not, but that's something I've always wanted to go to, and I'm like, okay, another year I can't go. (laughs) Oh, yeah. First COVID, now pregnant. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, I believe it's it's on now. I don't know if it's winding. It might be winding down. I don't know if they started late or not, but. Yeah. I, I've always wanted to go and be all dressed up and be a wench, you know. <laughs> uh, February is always busy in the Valley. You got the Arabian show, you got the Renaissance Festival. There's all kinds of stuff going on. Yep. Well, anyways, before we get going to our case, let's remind everybody of last week's question. And that question was, who was the last female prisoner executed in the U.S.? So... That was uh, on January 13th, 2021. It was Lisa M. Montgomery was executed. She was the only woman on federal death row. 
And a sentence of execution by the federal government hasn't been done in almost 70 years. The last time the feds uh, executed anyone was Bonnie Brown Hetty and Ethel Rosenberg. Hmm. And I know Ethel Rosenberg, that was back in the 40s. They were accused of spying. Oh, for the for the Nazis, the Rosenbergs, her and her husband. Mm -hmm. So that's how far back that goes. Wow. So I know that uh, Montgomery was this is like crazy, like what a weird, you know, case that is Montgomery because she was like convicted of murdering a pregnant woman. Here I am, a pregnant woman. She kidnaps the unborn (laughs) child. And that was pretty crazy because she went in there going with the intention of buying a dog and then ends up killing this Bobby Joe Stinnett and cutting the baby out of the stomach. And she didn't confess till later on of what she did. So that was pretty crazy. Yeah. So for people that think that Shakespeare is old fashioned and out of date, here's a perfect example of the opening scene in Macbeth. <laughs> <laughs> this stuff still happens. So. Yeah. Still happens. That, that is why Shakespeare is so relevant. Yeah. It's, it's, been, it's interesting that this happened to be the, the case or the answer to our question and you know i'm going on maternity leave and then the case (laughs) that we chose is about children too so it's kind of like oh my gosh i don't know what we did here but we're leaving like i said we're leaving you guys with a quick bang wow that new mexico (laughs) conspiracy theory coming through absolutely so a little bit about the case this case was from 1999 uh the music of an ice cream truck led two sisters to run out and wait for a treat who knew that one would vanish within 90 seconds? And this case is about Mikkel Biggs that was in Arizona, Mesa, Arizona. Yeah, and this is still near and dear to a lot of people's hearts. This this case was just heartbreaking. Yeah, it's yeah. really, really left people still talk about this case because it's just nobody has an answer to anything. Exactly. I actually just saw that even somebody had did a TikTok on this case um, pretty recently because... The anniversary is on January 2nd, so. Yeah, and this case has been profiled uh, three times that I know of uh, on Court TV uh, with uh, mm. Vinnie Palatan. His, um, he does a lot of the colder cases, and he did uh, the, the two little boys out of California, mm-hmm. Oren and uh, Olson. I can't remember that. The, the, the two little brothers, uh, he's profiled them. He, he's done Mikhail Biggs a couple of times. So he he likes to do some cold cases. So it's just weird that we have got nothing after all this time. This is kind of like the John Bonet case of Arizona. Yeah. Except in Colorado, yeah, John Bonet was in Colorado, but it doesn't. It's not as high profile it is, but it definitely has gotten a lot of attention. Yeah. So yeah, it happened on January second, nineteen ninety nine. And so Mikhail and her sister Kimber were outside. Mikhail was riding Kimber's bike. Uh, Mikhail was 11 at the time. Kimber was nine. And they were both waiting for the ice cream truck. Yeah, it's crazy because that whole concept of that they heard the music, but they never saw the the ice cream truck ever show up. That always has kind of left me a little, you know, into a conspiracy of that. Like, could it have been a neighbor or was it somebody that was like trying to draw kids around, you know? It's definitely questionable. It was interesting. So, yeah, Mikkel was riding the bike in circles, and Kimber got cold, so she crossed the street and went ran into the house to get her jacket. 
And she looked back over her shoulder and she saw Mikhail riding the bike. And then that was the last time she saw her sister. She went in, she grabbed her coat, said something to her mom, came back out. And this is always just, it's just spooky. She came back out in the middle of the street is the bicycle on its side with the wheels still turning. And there's quarters strewn on the street because they had money for ice cream. And that wheel just is slowly spinning. That's how fast it was. Yeah, that's pretty scary, actually. Think it's about. not like they came upon it and, oh, there's a bike. The wheel was still spinning. It's like they snatched her while she was on the bike. Yeah. And, and the bike just, fell. And just for, you know, parents and, and, and people out there, some of these abductions, that is literally how fast it can happen. And it's interesting because, you know, Mikkel had, she was a straight A student. And one of the things that I found interesting that she loved drawing and she, her inspiration was to become an animator for Disney. So can you imagine had she not been abducted, she could have become an animator for Disney and would have been one of those famous Disney movies right now. Yeah. And that's some pretty big ambition. Yeah. For an 11 year old. Absolutely. I at 11 years old, I think most of us were like, oh, we want to be an astronaut because, you know, it was pretty big when I was growing up to be an astronaut. But a doctor, a lawyer, this is pretty common. Ballerina. Yeah, an animator? Just, that just took me for a, for a moment like, wow, this child knew what she wanted. Yeah, so I mean, imagine she, you know, came outside. Here's the bike spinning. Her sister's gone. She's screaming. She's calling for her name. You know, runs back to the house, gets mom. You know, mom's like, oh, my God. They call 911. And this thing, I mean, they were on it so fast. Mm -hmm. In, there was like 30 minutes. Cops had already been taping stuff off. They're already talking to people. There were a thousand people in the neighborhood looking for that girl. A thousand. Every news station was there. There were police cars all over the place. People were organizing search parties. Everybody was in a frenzy looking for this girl that fast. It wasn't like she was reported missing. And then the next day they went out for a search party. This is all within 30 minutes. Yeah, because the mom thought that maybe she took off to the next door neighbors, the, the Millers. And just, you know, I guess she had the tendency of going over there quite a bit that She's like, well, let's go check to see. And then the older son from the Millers was like, no, she's not here. And they started searching for her immediately. It was pretty intense how I'm pretty sure the mom was pretty frantic. And the sister had to have been like, I just, I, one of the videos that I watch of Kimber kind of replaying this memory is that she said that it felt like a movie. It was so, like when she turned and looked back at uh, Mikkel, that she just felt like it was a dreamlike scene of seeing her ride the bike and as she went inside to go get her jacket. Yeah, and it was weird because um, I did a little research and abductions like Mikkel was um, like a snatch and grab kind of thing. It's only about 1% of the abductions by a stranger. Usually hmm. other abductions are some sort of family member, custodial, that kind of, but 1% is usually a stranger. But even then, a lot of times they lure them, candy, mm -hmm. puppy, whatever. But this was like just straight up snatch and grab. You know, they had no physical evidence, very few leads. So, of course, they start with the dad and the mom, mm -hmm. you know, and, and work their way out. You know, obviously, everybody had some alibis and 
things. And it was interesting because they, they talk about um, her father, Darren, that the police found him aloof as well. Yeah. Well, he had lied about the, about where his whereabouts are at. So that was a big red flag. And it's interesting, you know, you you can hide all you want about certain things, but you know, the truth will always come out. You should never lie when there's something like this happening of, you probably say where you really were at, whether it's going to get you in more trouble or not. But mm-hmm. in this case, it was probably in his benefit to have said the truth and just come out that he was cheating on his wife and just say where he at, was at instead of saying he was at work and everybody's trying to get a hold of him and let him know what was happening. And we found out that he was actually not at the location at the time of the disappearance, that he had lied about it. And that um, found come to find out that Darren, the father, was at his friend's house, which happens to be the woman that he was having an affair with. Yeah. And, you know, when you do things like that and it's like, yeah, okay, nobody wants to get caught. But the police now are focused on you because they've caught you in a lie. So all their energy is going towards you instead of other directions. So whether it was two hours that they spent or two days or two weeks, all that time is time they weren't looking somewhere else. Right. And so that takes away from the longer it takes. What is it? Um, John Walsh always talks about this, that when some a child is missing, the longer it takes for you to start that search or looking for the child and you're deterred because of somebody lying, that's there's more chances of that person that abducted the child to get further away and the clues get missed. Yeah. It's like you can sort out the rest of it later. You know, Mm -hmm. you need to find the child. That's just first and foremost, you know, the rest of what's going on with your marriage that can be, that can be dealt with at a later time. So yeah, I'm not sure how much ground they lost focusing on him because of his little lie. Yeah. And so they were questioning the neighbors, anybody that was home. And it was interesting because there was a neighbor that lived two doors down, a, a D uh, Blaylock. And he claimed he was in the garage watching a Cardinals game, but they interviewed him and he didn't see anything. He didn't hear anything. He didn't seem to know anything. But yet other neighbors reported hearing the music of an ice cream truck, but then nobody ever really saw the ice cream truck. And it was interesting because Mesa police, they literally tracked down, I think, every ice cream, licensed ice cream truck operator in the state of Arizona. And they said that about Jordan. I mean, if you think about it, January 2nd, 1999, first of all, January 2nd, it's pretty cold. Like, it's very rare you see ice cream trucks at this time of of the year because it's winter. It does happen. I mean... Our winters here are, feel like springtime. It doesn't feel like a winter time, but I do see them around. But one of the things I have to have a little weird, like, confession of my background growing up of where I grew up at <laughs> is that I, <laughs> this is my confession in, in this case. They had ice cream in New Mexico? Um, they did have ice cream because <laughs> I lived a lot. I lived by the dairy farms, but I didn't have ice cream trucks. They, that didn't exist in the small town that I grew up at. Yeah, me, me either. Me either, so, right? So, to, like, when I first thought of this whole ice cream truck music, I I realized that I've never really experienced the ice cream truck, like, thing until I rented a house in, in uh, Glendale, when I lived in Glendale, and I would hear the ice cream truck around. But, like, when you live in an apartment complex, you don't really hear the ice cream truck. So, because it's all by 
commercial businesses. So you don't see the ice cream truck. But when you're in a residential home, you do hear them. Glendale, they have some relentless ice cream man. We have a guy that comes by almost every night. Yeah. The closest thing to an ice cream man that we ever had was the Schwann's man. Oh, yeah. And he had those little cups, you know? <laughs> yep. And dinner in a truck. <laughs> yeah. That was the closest to an ice cream truck we had. <clears throat> but, you know, this is this neighbor. I mean, for all we know, he could have been playing the music. Like I said, the girls, nobody in the neighborhood ever saw this ice cream truck ever show up. So who knows? Yeah, it was weird. It was weird. So, uh, yeah, she's, you know, had been missing for quite some time. And the the family finally at the five-year mark um, just decided in order for them to, like, begin to heal and move forward, they went ahead and they had a funeral for her and they buried an empty casket and did all that just so that they could move on which I thought was was really interesting. And once they had done that, the case shifted from finding Mikkel to finding her killer. Because now at the five-year mark, everybody's pretty sure that it did this is not ending in a in a good in a good way. But what was interesting was the infamous dollar bill. Yes, now before you jump into the dollar bill that shows up later on, I want to mention that uh D Block had a history of convention convictions of sex offense and child molestation i mean there was a point where he beat up and raped a neighbor by the name of susan quinta and she ended up surviving the attack and she said perhaps d was responsible for her disappearance and so she was willing to drop all charges if he would confess to kidnapping uh, mikhail and of course he denied it yeah, and it was interesting because one of the detectives on the case, Detective Barry, uh, once he he was arrested for the other charges, he allegedly made some comments while he was incarcerated, tying some things back to uh, the Biggs case. But uh, he com- but he repeatedly denied involvement, and there was no physical t- to um, no physical evidence to tie him to the case. So um, even though Detective Barry kind of felt like he was responsible, he's he said that wasn't good enough, and he did not have enough to move forward because it was weird. There was no physical evidence. No, but you know you see you hear about all these cases of these girls that go missing at a really young age, and they're actually still in the neighborhood or like. A, a, a city away and they find them alive like in their you know 20s and 30s you know later on with a kid and the kidnapper was the you know holding them hostage and you know this this could possibly turn up so the fact that they waited like five years of her disappearance to do the funeral to me I think they just waited the five years because I think they probably had life insurance on Mikhail and they couldn't roll out death until the five years of disappearance had existed right so i don't know if they got a life insurance plan that had that but usually it's about a five-year mark with life insurance that they could claim and get uh insurance on it yeah and as work as the the two girls were only two years apart but they were so close growing up they were just inseparable and they loved to read and play pretend together and i can't even begin to imagine what Kimber's gone through. 
Oh, yeah. You know, she's blamed herself, you know, that she should have never have left and gone in the house to get her jacket. You know, she feels that if she had stayed out there that it wouldn't have happened. And I keep thinking, man, what if what if whoever did it got two for one? Mm-hmm. You don't know who was, like, you know, lurking and looking for the right opportunity. The minute he saw her leave, he's like, okay, this is my chance to go in and grab um, this child. And if she wouldn't have gone inside, would he have grabbed both of them? And there were a child, there were, uh, there was four siblings altogether. Michaela was the oldest. Kimber was the second. And then there was two younger kids as well. Yeah. And you only ever really hear about uh, Kimber, Kimber and Michaela. Mm-hmm. Because I think the two of them were outside playing together waiting for the ice cream truck. Right. The other two were too young. Yeah. Well, they don't even really even remember their sister. That's so sad. So let's go back to 2018, this dollar bill that was used to buy. Yeah. Take it away. Take it away, conspiracy theorist. (laughs) So this dollar bill was used to buy Girl Scout cookies, of all things, which is interesting. That's already like a red flag for me, but you know, (laughs) Girl Scout cookies. And turns up in Wisconsin with the mysterious scribble saying, my name is Mikkel Biggs, which Mikkel, by the way, was misspelled. And... Kid uh, says, my name is Mikkel Biggs, kidnapped from Mesa, Arizona. I'm alive. So the clue, the you know, I guess, I guess the best thing about that coming up was that it definitely brought up the case again, right? So however, Mikkel's name, like I said, was misspelt. Um, and they combined, combined with the 2009 note, the dollar bill note, and the handwriting is deemed to have just been a hoax or a petty prank is what the, what the investigators ended up stating. Yeah. And it was interesting because in Wisconsin, they got this dollar bill and they're, they're looking at this and they're like, who is this Mesa, Arizona? They didn't, well, how would they, they knew nothing of the case, but after looking at it, they went ahead and contacted Mesa police and that spurred a new thing. They had the, you know, pictures of the dollar bill on the news and people were talking about it again. But that's one of the things with like kidnappings and missing missing persons. Everybody gets so busy in their day-to-day stuff that it's just really hard. But I just think we need to do a better job of uh, trying to pay attention to each other. Absolutely. I don't think she's dead, to be honest. I really think that she's out there missing. This is my theory, but I really think that she got kidnapped and she's... I mean, even the sister said, you know, now they think that maybe she was in the um put in the sex slave trade or something could have happened to her but i don't think they've she's dead there's no body there's no evidence ever showing of foul play or anything but look at a lot of these other cases where these girls go missing like i said and come to find out that they were you know in some weird hidden room behind the closet and it was like a next and it was a neighbor yeah, I mean, they just found that custody case, that, that girl that was missing for two years, and Grandpa mm-hmm. had her hidden under the staircase. Yeah, that's just, it's just crazy, but it yeah, happens. and you're kind of right about the body, too, because one of the things was, at least out here for people that live out here in Arizona, we have so much open desert and open areas and such a history of mining that the whole East Valley over at the, the Santans, they searched like over 35 abandoned mines. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they just had people all over the place. It just doesn't make sense that, you know, it's, I don't think that would have, they would have killed her. I think that they, they kept her. 
Yeah, because they it was really a unique situation here because not only is there no body, there was no crime scene, and mm-hmm. then there's such a vast Arizona desert and place to take somebody, you know, from A to B that it just really makes it kind of a challenge to be to be looking for something. Exactly. And one of the things I noticed was that they have um her dental records. So the Mesa police does have their de- her dental records. So if they were to find a body, they would be able to, you know, link it to see if it was her. Yeah, they could match it. Yeah, which is very good. But yeah, there's like over 90,000 missing people in this country. It's quite a bit of people. Yeah, you know, some some I'm sure want to be, but the gist of it is just you know, missing people for whatever reason. Phoenix alone has 130 active missing persons cases. And then we have 70 unidentified bodies. And there's only two detectives that are assigned to that unit. And then the bad, the the bad thing for us too, is like with those 70 bodies, how many of them are from Mexico? There's no way to identify them. Yeah, there's no way to identify a lot of people. Especially, like, that's why I made the mention of, make, at least they had her dental records that they could pull and say, like, hey, one of these bodies is hers if they were to ever find a body. Yeah. And it's just, it's really super hard for families that have missing people because you don't even know. I mean, it's hard enough to know that a family member was murdered or, you know, killed, killed, hit and run or whatever. But can you imagine just poof, someone has gone from your life and you never, ever, ever know what happened. There's no closure. Not that I fully believe in closure because there's never full closure, but at least, at least you would solve the mystery of Mm -hmm. what happened. But they, they typically don't have a grave to visit. I mean, the bigs went ahead and did that so that they have that for themselves, but most people don't have that. And every holiday, birthday, anniversary, everything that ever comes up, that loved one is not there. Yeah, and you know, by the way, I just want to mention that the investigators did bring those dogs that, you know, go and sniff, and they were brought in, and they lost her scent within only a few feet, so they really felt that she was pulled into a vehicle. There was, this is what is interesting to me about the investigators, I don't know where they came this, this came up, but there was composite sketches of two possible suspects in the case, however, like, Nobody ever saw anyone, so how did they come up with composite sketches is my question, but that's me questioning (laughs) (laughs) the investigator. Like, there was no witnesses, right? Um, But the family believed that D, he only lived two blocks away from the home, and he was at his house at the time of the disappearance. His wife claimed that he had spent the entire night in their garage and that they still find it suspicious um, he's currently serving time in Arizona pre- prison for unrelated charges to Michaela's case for, and he's serving a 15 and a half year sentence or I think a little longer, but you know, I just think it's interesting that the family really believe that she passed away. And I guess to me, I would not give up. I, until I see a body to me, I would be fighting and saying that she's still out there. And I think that's what Kimber's mission has been her whole life. And now that she has her own life going, I know she has a child now. I'm sure she's probably like, like me, I would be questioning whether do I want to have a child and be worried that something like this could ever happen. And she's probably paranoid at all times. Like, where's my child at? Yeah. And um, even according to Jerry Gissel, 
uh, he said that it, it wasn't somebody that she knew or wanted to be with. She dropped the bike. She was running towards home. Not really sure how they figured that one. And she dropped quarters. You know, she, she had the quarters for the ice cream truck and it was swift. So they feel that somebody grabbed her, abducted her using a car and drove away that fast. Mm-hmm. You know, because how, how else could it be, you know, that fast? Right. And I know there's a few other podcasts about Mikhail LeBiggs' case. I've I've heard a couple of the podcasts, actually, while I was doing my research, just kind of wanted to see other people's perspective. But there is no, like, true evidence of a crime scene. The last thing that was there was the bike, the change, and she went missing. Yeah, and the really the really creepy part was when the news was showing it. The bike was on its side in the street, and that rear tire was just still turning. Mm-hmm. Not like somebody came by and went, oh, there's a child's bike in the street. That seems odd. You know, her Kimber went in the house, grabbed her jacket, came back out, and her sister is gone. The bike that she was riding was on its side, and that wheel is just turning. And there is still not a peep of evidence of anything in all this time. It's definitely creepy. And talk about stress on a family. And in fact, with just everything going on, uh, Darren and Tracy divorced. Mm-hmm. And then he remarried and she moved up to Utah. But just the stress of all this. I mean, I'm sure his affair didn't help either. But but yeah, I mean, if there's if you guys know anything of her disappearance or uh, any person's whereabouts that you know may be missing, Make sure to call your local law enforcement agency. And if it relates to this case, we encourage you to call the Mesa Police Department. And their number is 480-644-2211. Yeah, anything, no matter what, they'll, you know, they'll take any any clue, no matter how small. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this case has gone on for so long. You know, if there is anybody that has a shred of anything, please, 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 we just really encourage you to call. Yeah, speak up. But that that kind of leads us to the end of our case. And uh, like I said, I still think it's kind of interesting, the composite sketches, I'm like, of two possible suspects. But there was no witnesses. Yeah, so I don't know if, like, people just remembered, like, seeing somebody just walking down the street or something, and that's all they had to go on. I don't know if people felt pressured, like, well, we, you know, we have to come up with something because she's gone. Somebody must have mm-hmm. done it. I don't know. It's just weird. It is weird. I just, I just think that's weird. But anyways, well, before we let you guys go, we do have a question of the week, even though I'm going to be going on maternity leave, but gives you, gives you lots of time to look it up. It'll give you plenty <laughs> of time to look this up. So Kat, do you want to do this the favor and share the question of the week? Absolutely. Okay, here we go. How many women are currently on death row? It's a good one, right? Yep. <laughs> and scary. There's been such an increase in women in the prison system that I just, it, it's unbelievable. Yeah. So, yeah, that's. I feel like I see more women cre- creating a lot of, or, you know, a lot of crimes lately in the muse than I do men. Oh, yeah. And in fact, even like our neighborhood, our little neighborhood watch that I belong to, somebody just today posted video for one of their security cameras that there were three people 
uh, snooping around one of their vehicles and doing stuff. And it was a guy and two girls. Oh my gosh. And it was funny because when you look at the video, somebody had made the comment and said, well, it's obvious looking at their waistline that they're not meth addicts. <laughs> Jeez. So, uh, yeah, these, these, uh, people had not missed a meal and, uh, yeah, they're looking for it. They're, you know, poking around where they shouldn't be. But again, women, what's going on? Come on. Yeah. What's going on, ladies? You need, you need to act better than that. <laughs> well, we invite you to share our podcast with all your friends and family. We are on all the platforms. Check out our website and please interact with us on our social media. Um, that way you can stay engaged with us, ask us your questions, or even suggest a case. We'd be open to doing some more digging for you guys. Yeah. So, you know please interact. A lot of people have asked for permission to go ahead and be able to post. So you guys should have all that. So please interact. We would love to be talking with you. Yes. And we will be missing you guys. Well, at least I know for sure I'll be missing everybody and going on my maternity leave, but this will give me some time to be a mommy. And so I'm leaving you guys with this case and all these questions in your head. And they're like, probably like wondering now my mental health of of why is she becoming a mom <laughs> with all this knowledge? <laughs> but um, yeah, I really appreciate all of you guys and thank you for the support. And Kat and I, we're a great duo together. We couldn't do this without producer Dave. So I'll be, we'll be checking in with you guys. And I know Kat and producer Dave will make sure to give you guys updates. I know. Cause I'm so excited to be, to meet baby Gabs. Yes. She'll be here sooner. She'll be here soon enough. Yes. So to all of our listeners out there, I will, I will keep you updated. So just bear with us because we're also working on some new stuff for you guys. But, you know, uh, Vanny's got the baby coming and I don't know if I can spill the beans, but they're getting a, a new house. So there's just a lot yes. of stuff going on. So bear with us. I will be checking in and we will be back with you as soon as we can and we'll be fully loaded with some nice new stuff for you guys. Absolutely. So until then you guys take care, be kind and stay safe. Yes. And I will talk to you guys soon. So everybody take care. Take All right. care now. Bye. Bye. Time for Crime is a podcast about true crime, prison life, and the opinions from the people who've worked on the inside. Please follow us and leave a five-star review on your favorite podcatching software. Help us get our voice out there. You can get more information about the podcast and this case at www.timeforcrime.net. Look for us on Twitter at Time for Crime one or on Facebook at Time for Crime Vanny Cat. Feel free to leave us a comment on our voicemail at 623-292-5871. We might even put your call on the podcast. Like it, love it, and share it, but please credit the hosts Vanessa Nunez and Kathy Delaney for their commitment to the podcast and service to the community. We'd like to send a special thanks to Nickel Nynth for the music in this podcast. We'd also like to thank Dave Kaiser and Peter Nynth for their support of the podcast and website. And most importantly, we'd like to thank you, the listener. Without you, we couldn't bring you this podcast. Take care, everyone. <laughs>